Welcome to the Kenza Pod, brought to you by the Kenza Collective, a platform designed to teach parents how to leverage their existing skills and network to create a successful freelance business. On this podcast, we bring you inspiring stories from other parent entrepreneurs, and we share pro tips to help you build a sustainable business so that you can create a life and a living that truly works for your family. Hey there, welcome to the Kenza Pod. This is your co-host, Tiffany Jones, and I am here with my co-host, Beth Gummery. Hi, Beth. Hi, everybody. So on today's podcast episode, we are talking about how you can be your own CFO. You know, when you go off on your own as an independent professional, there are a few skills that you are going to need to learn. Things like how to write proposals or how to find clients or how to manage projects. But one of the most, in my opinion, what can be one of the most daunting skills that you need to learn is how to be your own CFO. You know, most of us were never taught anything about this. Even tax basics weren't really taught to us in school, much less how to read a P&L, what a P&L even is, understand what a balance sheet is, how to manage your cash flow, like all that kind of stuff we just weren't taught. And, you know, at Kenza, we are really passionate about demystifying all sides of business, but mostly this side of the business. So today I'm going to be talking with Beth and she is going to teach us about the five key skills that you need to learn in order to be your own CFO. Now, keep in mind, even if you do outsource your bookkeeping or financial management to a bookkeeper or someone else, or you plan on doing that in the future, you think to yourself, oh, I'm I'm going to outsource that as soon as I can, you should still know this information. Um, That just helps you be more empowered as you run your business and make decisions. It also helps you look at the work that your bookkeeper or accountant or whoever it is is doing to make sure that it's correct and it's tracking just from a sheer logic perspective. So let's dive in. Um, Quick intro on Beth. She comes to us with over 20 years of experience in the financial industry. She's been everything from an accountant to a bookkeeper, to a controller, to a CFO, to a treasurer, and everything in between. And now she coaches people on how to become their own CFO. So this is perfect. Hello, Beth. Hello again. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Um, uh, this This is really important stuff. So when we say CFO, by the way, that means Chief Financial Officer. And so you might hear that a lot when people talk about CEOs and CFOs. That's what it means. Um, And what the CFO is, the chief financial officer, is the person in an organization who knows the most about the financial situation of the company. And so if you are starting your own company, that's you. You are your own CEO and your own CFO and and your own CMO and every other C-suite thing there is, is all you. Um, So, so, uh, you know, don't be intimidated. I know, you know, there's a lot of financial jargon out there in the world that that sounds fairly intimidating, but really it's fairly straightforward and simple. And and so hopefully today we're going to walk you through some basic concepts. And um, of course, we're always available to talk more and in more detail, but we'll give you a good overview today of what you should know if you're going to be your own CFO or your own financial person inside your company. 
Love it. And just to piggyback on what Beth was saying about asking more questions, um, just a reminder that we do have a free Slack community. If you're not familiar with Slack, it's basically just a fancy chat program. Um, and we are on there a lot. And so if you have specific questions, hop on and ask a question and we'll get back to you. It's pretty cool. It's been really fun to interact with our community and help people, you know, when you think about just Googling something, uh, for example, a community member was asking about payroll taxes the other day. And instead of trying to Google it and sort through all the information, she posted on Slack within a couple of hours, Beth got back to her with some really helpful information and a couple of helpful links and she got personalized help. And that's really valuable and it's for free. What? So um, <laughs> click on the link in this description of this podcast uh, to join our Slack community and uh, hopefully we'll see you there. So, um, you know, one thing I also wanted to encourage people as we dive into this and this, I thought about this when you were saying, you know, you become a CEO, the CMO, the COO, the C, whatever, you wear all the hats when you get started and speaking personally, but I'm sure that other people can relate to this is that you tend to, uh, lean into the things that you're good at, or you're interested in becoming good at, or you're just, you know, intrigued by um with all of those hats and you maybe shove the other hats in the closet and <laughs> kind of deal with them but not really and that has 100 yeah. been my experience you know I, I set up fresh books i connected my bank accounts i started coding my expenses i send out my invoices from there and that's pretty much all i have ever really done because the other stuff i just don't know about i didn't know where to go and Beth has been so graciously walking me through a lot of stuff. But, you know, this is one part of the business where it's it's good to level up. It's good to lean into. It's good to understand the concepts. And um, like we said before, you might be surprised that you might actually be like, oh, this is good, helpful information. I don't actually need to be scared about this. It's just numbers. And I can make better, more informed decisions about my business and um, how things are actually working versus just kind of flying blindly. So don't be afraid. Um, and let's dive in. Yeah, that's really good advice. Uh, it's just, you know, uh, I don't know why this is, but in our culture, we, we tend to put big words around financial stuff and it's really not all that complicated. It's basically arithmetic, right? You've got a certain amount of money and you do certain things with it. And so accounting is all about keeping track of the different things that you did with the money. And in double entry bookkeeping, which is what we all use, for every transaction you make, there's an opposite reaction to that. So it's, so there's always two entries whenever you, um, you do something in accounting. So if you spend cash on something, there's also an expense. So it's, it's pretty straightforward and we'll get into all of that later. But what I wanted to talk to you about today is sort of a higher level um, and that's the five things you should know in order to be your own CFO. And if you don't know all these things right now, that's fine. This is just to throw the, these concepts out there and let you have a chance to absorb them through what we're going to talk about today. But then also we'll do some more episodes and content around these individual concepts. So number one, numero uno, is know how to read your profit and loss statement or your P&L. So what is that you're saying? What's a P&L? Well, it's a report. It's also known as a statement of statement of activity. It's also known as an income statement. And um, 
And at the top is your income minus your cost of goods, which is the cost of um, producing the items that you're selling and making income on equals your gross profit. And then if you, after you have your gross profit, you subtract out your expenses and you're left with your net income or your net profit. Um, so that's the way a P&L works. And basically the data that gets compiled to create a P&L is your day-to-day -day activity, your income. So every time somebody pays you, that becomes part of the income in your profit and loss statement. And then your expenses, which is how much money you're spending to produce the work that you're selling. And also on sort of general overhead type stuff like your postage or your um, office supplies or your insurance. After you take your income and subtract out all the expenses, hopefully you have some money left over and that's actually your profit or your net income. Yes. There's one important distinction you helped me realize, which is that when someone says expenses, there's actually kind of two main categories of expenses. There's the cost of goods sold, which mm -hmm. for me as an online service-based provider, that term confused me at first because that, that cost of goods sold, like that made me think of something physical, but in reality it could be a software or some other thing. And then there's the other thing under the expenses umbrella, which is just general operating expenses. Maybe you can walk us through those two distinctions and how we figure out which goes in which category. Yes. Okay. A good rule of thumb for that, for cost of goods sold. Um, and it doesn't have, you, if you, if the terminology cost of goods is too complicated, you can say something like, you know, uh, cost of production or cost of sales or whatever it is that you have to do in order to make that income. So for example, if you are, uh, let's say you have a business where you're selling birdhouses um, all of the expenses for the wood, the nails, the paint, everything that you're using to create those birdhouses are part of your cost of goods sold. So you can't make your income without first creating those items and selling them. So that's where we get that terminology from a very, very, you know, literally goods, um, inventory or you know sometimes you'll buy inventory and then sell it so cost of goods you know very obviously explains those things but it might also explain something else you had to pay for in order to deliver your product so if you're a freelancer for example who is delivering um, some type of work for your client and in order to deliver that work, you had to hire three other freelancers on that project to deliver that work. That's also part of your cost of goods sold. So, so anything that you had to buy that you could not have delivered the product and received the income without uh, is part of your cost of goods sold. Does that make sense? Mm, that's really, really helpful. Yeah. So the way that this came up with us before is I was, I asked you, um, I use a project management software to manage my client work, but I also use it just to manage, you know, my other, you know, Kenzo work and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Does that count as a cost of goods sold or is that just a general expense of the business? 
that's that type of thing is usually more a general expense of the business. Um, however, if put it this way, if you're passing along the cost to the client, it may be part of part of cost of goods. And sometimes part of it is general overhead and part of it is cost of goods, depending on how you've got your business set up and what it is you're providing. Um, so, um, we, if anybody wants to jump on a Slack and talk more about that in your own company, in your own specifics, I'd be happy to do that and help you figure out, you know, if there are parts of, parts of things that are cost of good and goods and parts of them that are, um, for example, if you're buying a software specifically for a customer's job, like you're having to do something very specific for them that you don't have to do for anybody else. Let's say they're your customer that you make videos for, and they're the only one that you're making videos for, and you're, you're buying some sort of video software, and then you're adding that to their bill every month, let's just say for the sake of argument, mm -hmm. that would be more like your cost of goods sold because you cannot produce that work without that piece of software. Um, you know, like stock photos, for example, let's say you're, you're designing something for somebody and you have to buy a bunch of stock photos for that piece of work you're doing. That's an example of cost of goods sold. Okay. Now, why does this matter to distinguish between those two? Well, it's important to make sure you understand what your margins are, what your gross margin percentages are. So that's the cost of delivering the product, right? So if you're finding, for example, that your income is not even covering the cost, what it costs you to produce the work for the client, you're going to need to change your pricing structure. You're probably going to start need to start charging them more. So it's just a real quick indicator where you can look at it and say, gosh, you know, I, uh, I, I produce, I, I charge this customer a hundred dollars and they pay me and it costs me, you know, $110 to produce what I just sold them. I better change something. Um, or, you know, you find out that it costs you 90 bucks to, to make a hundred dollars, you might want to rethink how you're doing this. So this turns into a management tool. Uh, it allows you to look at that and say, Hmm, like, let me, let me figure out if I'm doing something, either I'm managing this wrong or I'm not charging enough. Um, or I need to find a cheaper supplier of whatever it is I'm then selling. You know, your, your profit and loss statement is a management tool that allows you to look and see if what you're doing makes sense. So that's where uh, these financial reports are valuable. It's not to scare you or, you know, give you a lot of extra work. It's really supposed to be set up in a way that helps you and helps you make choices about what you're doing. Awesome. Well, I have, I still have more questions about the PNL that I want to get clarification on, but in our next episode, we're actually going to do a deep dive into PNLs. And so I'm going to save my questions for that episode so that we can move on to the other four tips and, and four areas that people need to know about um, to be their own CFO. So if you are interested in diving deeper into a PNL statement, um, including, you know, why it matters, 
um, we'll go more into the that expenses category, you know, overhead expenses and, and how to be looking at those, what kinds of questions you should be asking, how often you should look at this, what kind of decisions you should make after looking at this statement. Um, we'll get into all that in the very next episode. Um, but that, I feel like that's a pretty good overview of what that is. And if you go into your accounting software, um, you can access this report pretty easily. There should be, you should see profit and loss statement somewhere. Um, all right, are we ready to move on to number two? What's the, what's the number two skill? Um, not in any. These aren't really in any sort of order, right? They're not ranked no, necessarily, no. or are they? Okay. No, I'm just I just threw five things out there that are important, and so I want to just go over all of them. And there are more things than this, by the way. This list is not, you know all things that matter, but there are five things that matter. And we could probably come up with another 15 <laughs> things that matter if we really thought about it. Um, but when you're your own CFO, another critical piece of information is your balance sheet. And your balance sheet is also known as your statement of financial position. And it is at a particular point in time. So your balance sheet is your balances. So where your P&L was a, a report where you could pick the beginning date and the end date, and it's going to show you all your activity during those dates, your balance sheet is your balances at a particular point in time. And there are two parts to the balance sheet, the top part or the left-hand part and the bottom part or the right-hand part. These get um, displayed lots of different ways. But what you need to know is that this, this number, the total of, of your assets, will equal, equal the total of your liability, liability, liabilities and equity. Um, and so what are assets? Well, assets are your cash in the bank, um, money that people owe you, um, if you have any equipment that has a value to it, your fixed assets, and also any money that you've paid for something that you'll receive in the future or something that you will expense in the future. So if let's say I've uh, just prepaid a year's worth of insurance, but really it's not due until next month and the next month and the following month, I've, I've just prepaid. So for me, that's an asset. In other words, I've now put money towards my insurance, which means that the, for whole, the whole rest of the year, I'm gonna get free insurance because I've already paid for it. That's basically how that works. And then when it comes to liabilities, the second part of the balance sheet, your liabilities are all the money you owe. So that's your accounts payable. And of course, accounts payable are any bills that are due. Um, it also includes your credit cards. If you have, uh, if your company has credit cards, the balance is on credit cards. It includes any loans you might have taken out. Um, and any other debt, any other debt, whether that is a financial debt or a service debt. So let's say that somebody gave you $10,000 and said, for the next year, I want you to give me, you know, a piece of work every month. You actually have an obligation to them to deliver that work every month. So, um, and that would also be something that's carried on your balance sheet in the liability mm, section. Yeah. Okay. And then what's left over when you take your assets and subtract your liabilities is your equity. So that's the value of your company right now. 
um, basically if somebody came along and said, you know, if you closed your company and somebody came along and said, you know, I see you're closing, you owe me money for this and this and this. If you all of a sudden had to take all of your assets and liquidate them and use them to pay off all of your debts, whatever was left over would be your equity. Um, also included in equity is your net income year to date. So when you run a balance sheet or at, at the point in time, sorry, if you run a balance sheet for today, your net income as of today will be included in the equity section of your balance sheet. The other thing that's on the equity section of your balance sheet is your retained earnings, which is one of those concepts that you hear about and you're like, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> really all it is, it took me a while when I became an accountant, it took me a while to really understand this. But all that means is if you look at your net income cumulatively since the beginning of your company, your retained earnings is just a cumulative number of all your net incomes for all the past years your company has been in existence. If your okay. company is new this year, you have no retained earnings because you have not had a, a full year of business yet. So you're, if you're brand, you're brand new, you have no retained earnings, you have your net income from this year. And then also in equity would be, um, let's say you invested money into your company that you're not really expecting to get paid back you're just going to hold an ownership position in the amount of the money you invested in your company. That's the other thing that will be um, carried in the equity section of the balance sheet. So Tiff, I think this is another episode for another day, balance sheet in its entirety. Right, and I think the biggest question that comes to mind right now is, you know, because this is one of those reports that sounds like it's really just a moment in time. You could run it the next day and the whole thing could look different if invoices were paid or something else happened um, versus the P&L, which sounds like, you know, that's not necessarily the case. Um, mm -hmm. So why, what does the balance sheet give me if it's just that moment in time? Why would I look at that? What would I do with that information? Well, you have, you have different types of accounts. So when you're doing accounting, you have accounts that are P&L accounts and you have accounts that are balance sheet accounts and they're not, they're not on the same reports. So for example, your bank balance is a balance sheet account. Your credit card balance is a balance sheet account. However, the activity that happens between, let's say you run a balance sheet on February 28th, 2021, and then you run another balance sheet on March 31st, 2021, you're going to probably see a difference in the numbers from the first report you wrote and the second report that you pulled up. However, the difference will be explained on your P&L. So your P&L is all the activity, whereas your balance sheet is the balances. Does that make sense? Yeah. So are you saying that it makes, it makes sense to look at them both at the same time then? Yes. And, and use them complementary to one another versus like this versus that? Yes. Yes. They work in conjunction. And there's one number that is on both reports, and that is your net income number. 
So when you have your P&L and you get down to the bottom and it tells you what the bottom line is, that is your net income. And that also appears on your balance sheet in the equity section. And so if you're looking at a balance sheet and a P&L and you go to the bottom line number, the net income number on both reports, and they don't match, then double check that you're looking at the right report because they should always match in that one place. And if they're not, then either you need to change your dates um, or do something different in order to get matching reports. Interesting. So do you ever um, use this, these reports to run scenarios, for example? Like, oh, yeah. pull those reports, put them in an Excel spreadsheet and say, okay, if I were to lower my cost of goods by 20%, how does that reflow everything? What does my net income actually turn out to be? Well, that, that is one thing you can do, but that's also called budgeting. And, um, and that's the third <laughs> good segue Tiff. That's the third <laughs> thing you should know how to do. If you're going to be your own CFO is how to, how to write a budget and how to compare your budget versus your actuals. So a budget is basically a P and L in which you've put in a scenario. A couple of, you know, you could even do a couple of budgets for a couple of scenarios. Um, but basically, it's a proposed set of income transactions, uh, as well as proposed cost of goods numbers and proposed general administrative overhead numbers, resulting in a proposed net income. So the way people do budgeting is, for example, they'll take all of the P&L accounts that are that are available in their reports and use all of them to create a format. So there at the top will be, you know, all your sales numbers, right? Adding up to your income and then subtract out your cost of your anticipated cost of goods. So let's just say for the sake of argument, you found that uh, your cost of goods costs 39 percent of your income. You can drop in those numbers and then at the bottom you can in the in this bottom section where you look at sort of your overhead and general administration operating costs you can say well I'm gonna spend 50 bucks a month on postage and I'm gonna spend 100 bucks a month on insurance and office supplies and, and so forth down the line and create uh, you can budget by the whole year if you're new and you just have no idea what what's going to happen, or you can budget month at a time uh, based on the knowledge you have about what's going to happen. For example, if you have uh, software subscriptions that you're going to use every month, then you know those numbers. Drop those numbers in. Um, you know, if you've got percentages, like you have a fairly good sense that to deliver $100 worth of um, income, to build to your customer, it's going to cost you about $39, you know, um, of, of cost of goods. Then you can, you can predict all of those numbers and then you can just sort of, uh, work with the, the proposed income, um, numbers. You know, I think I'm going to sell, uh, I'm going to be working with these three clients and this one's going to pay me a thousand dollars and that one's going to pay me two thousand dollars and sort of sketch out what you think is going to happen over the next year. 
and that's budgeting. And, um, yeah. you know, many of us have done that in our own households, right? So, you know, that's, that's how complicated budgeting is. It's just really thinking through all of your income and all of your expenses. Yeah, and I think a good place <clears throat> to start might be something like, okay, my goal this year is to um, make 150K gross. So that's just all the income that comes in. And then I want to net 100K. I don't know. Just pick certain, pick a goal for the year. What do you want to be actually taking home? So that's after taxes. That's after contractors you may need to hire. You know, if you have a VA, if you have software, just everything it's going to cost you to do business. How much do you actually want to be taking home? And set a goal for yourself. And then mm -hmm. you can start to budget that out and understand, okay, in order to hit my goals, I need to have, I need you know, $75,000 worth of client contracts. And the average of my client contracts are $10,000. So that means I need, you know, seven to eight, probably eight contracts at $10,000 for the year to hit all my goals, whatever. And you can start to, to, to work on that and start to understand what's it going to take to get me there? What do I need? Is there anything I need to invest in is, and obviously that's going to lower your income as well, but what do I need to do in order to hit my goals? And you can start to see, you know, and check in on that as you go through the year, Hey, it's July and I'm only 20% to my goal. <laughs> I mm -hmm. better either step it up or adjust my expectations here. Mm -hmm. um, and so mm -hmm. that helps you too. Like I um, have a friend of mine who's a freelance um, marketing consultant and she, I think it was like last year, I think it was a year before maybe, it was October and she had already hit her income goal for the year and she was really stoked on that. And I think what's nice about that is it gives you these, these points in the year and points in time where you can kind of come up out of the business and realize, hey, I'm actually really killing it. And she mm -hmm. could make a decision at that point. She could slow it way down for the rest of the year, take a step back. She could focus on doing some more um, networking or maybe she needed to update her website or do other things because she's hit her income goal or she could just keep going and plow through it and, and blow through her income goal. But it just gives you that visibility and kind of reminds you of where you're at and gives you the next step. If she wasn't at her income goal by October, she knows she better go find you know, drum up some business and find, find a couple more clients to hit her goals. So, you know, I think for me, what I've learned going through all of this and learning more and more is just that this is just a way for you to um, make smarter decisions, more informed decisions um, versus just sort of throwing spaghetti at the wall and hoping it sticks. Is that a, mm -hmm. is that a saying? I don't know if that's Yeah, I think so. But I, <laughs> I, the throwing, <laughs> throwing the spaghetti at the wall is to see if the spaghetti's done. And right. if it sticks, then it's done. And if it do doesn't stick, it means it's too heavy and it falls off the wall because it's not sticky enough or something like that. <laughs> I remember and that doing totally this. totally connects with budgeting, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, me. I mean, yeah. I mean, budgeting is one of those things that you get better at as time goes on. So if like to your, to your example of your, your colleague who, who, you know, got to October and was already like crushing her own budget, you know, that also happens. And that's when you can reevaluate, like, am I budgeting correctly? Or did I budget too low? Or what should I budget for next year? Should I, should I raise my expectations? Um, the other thing that happens, you know, and for the most part, it's a good idea to just set up a budget and go with it unless like all the wheels fall off or unless some, you have some windfall then that 
kind of pushes you outside of your budgeted range. Other than that, like in, in the organizations I work with, for the most part, we set up their budget and then we prepare to explain variances from budget. Um, you know, anything that's over a $10,000 variance from what you thought you were going to, was going to happen in the year, uh, you usually explain. And, and most of the time folks are over here and under there, but for the most part, they, they stay on budget and that you get better and better at with more experience, right? So if it's your first year, just give it a try. You know, it doesn't have to be perfect and, you know, whatever you do, don't beat yourself up about it. I mean, you have enough to worry about, but just, just start to get into the habit of knowing how much it costs to deliver your business basically. And, um, and then that's going to help you make decisions when, when something comes along, like someone says, let's partner on this deal or let's, you know, can you offer this other service besides the one you've been offering? Cause I think I need this other thing from you. It, it gives you at least a, some confidence that you know mostly how it's going to, what it's going to cost you and how it's going to work. And then you can sort of add some variety to that based on, you know, these new demands that, that come to you. Um, but it's, it's just a good idea. And to, to just have that knowledge of how much it costs to do business, um, is, is just really important and allows you to be your own CFO. That's right. All right, so we have gone through a P&L, profit and loss statement. We've gone through mm -hmm. your balance sheet. We've talked about budgeting. What's next? Uh-huh. So cash management. So mm -hmm. mostly, mostly, um, how your business is doing will be measured by your, your P&L and your balance sheet. However, it's also important to keep in mind how your cash flow works. So are you finding that, you know, you're, you know, everything may look great on your reports, but then you're finding that like you're having a cash lull. Um, you know, I, I worked with a client one time who was like, we can't make payroll. You know, all of our income comes in on the first of the month. We can't make payroll. And I was like, well, can't we just, you know, move something one way or the other? I mean, you know, do we, do we need to do this on, on this day? And then this, you know, the day before your income comes in, why don't we just ask our landlords if we can hand in our rent a couple days late, then we'll cover everybody. You know, it, a lot of times it's just a matter of, of lining up your cash in the right order, uh, your inflows and outflows in the right order so that you're not ending up choked for cash so that you're, you know, spending some, getting some in, spending some, getting some in. For example, another example of this is if you have ongoing clients that you bill once a month, but you're working for them the whole month, um, how about billing them every two weeks or even billing them every week? Um, you're still getting, you're still billing them the same amount, but they're paying them in smaller, your bills in smaller increments, which may help you and also may help them. Um, if you're waiting till the end of a month and charging somebody $10,000, it might be a lot easier if you charge them 2,500, 2,500, 2,500, it's easier for them for cash flow. Um, and by the way, if you are billing a client $2,500 a week, and then that's only one of your clients, good job. Good on you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and that's actually a really good point, Beth, that is, is good to bring up here, which is um, we have a whole episode called Getting Paid, and it's Beth's inside tips from the other side, from the client side, of how you as the contractor can up your chances of getting paid on time and, and what makes you kind of a good contractor in the eyes of whoever's paying the bills at your client side. And one of the things Beth really talked about in that episode is the importance of talking to them about their systems and what works best for them and 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 also sharing what you would like too, but having it be a conversation versus this is how I build, this is how it's gonna happen, take it or leave it, you owe me whatever. Um, or on their side, they can do the same thing. You know, we only pay on this day and that's that. Um, you guys can work together on it. And so having that conversation when you first start working with a client, um, whether it's with the client themselves or more ideal is with whoever's cutting checks to say, hey, what's the best time for you to receive my invoice? I'm charging $10,000 a month. Would you like me to send that to you every two weeks? Would you like to just pay it in one sweep on the 30th? What works best in your system? And when you can approach it like that and try to enter into their world and compromise a little bit if you need to, um, you're going to get paid faster um, and you're just going to have a better relationship with that client and the person who is cutting your checks for you. Um, mm -hmm. So go listen to that episode if if you are wanting to know some best practices of how to get how to get paid because that could also really help with your your cash flow management. Yeah, and um, and in addition to cash flow, you also want to think about cash projection. So not just what have I done in the past, but what do I need to do in the future in order to have a steady stream of cash available for the steady stream of spending that I need to do. And um, we have put together actually a cash management projection tool um, that is available on the Kenza Collective platform. Tiffany, can you tell them a little bit more about where to find that cash yeah, management so tool? Beth put together this really awesome um, video that's a screen share of her running through this tool. It's just, it's an Excel spreadsheet. Um, and so we've put that together on the Kenza Collective website. Um, and you can also find the link in the description of this episode to go directly to it. Um, so it's just a little mini course. She's going to walk you through it. You can download the template. It's a Google Doc template um, and use it yourself and just start to understand cash flow and why it's important and how to manage it for yourself. And I'm not sure if we mentioned this, but it's free, which is the best price, free, free 99. Free, price um, is right. That's right. <laughs> So go check it out, watch that. And if you have questions, of course, like we always say, hop into our Slack channel, our Slack uh, workspace and um, ask Beth. She's here to help. Yeah. And I just want to say that it's a, it's really a pretty simple tool. Um, but I have actually used that with a number of clients to get them, get their cash uh, flow on track. And it actually really actually works. The first time I was exposed to this concept. I was like, that's hokey as heck, but it actually is really useful. And um, you just have to take the time every week to kind of think about what's happening, like what money's coming in, what money's going out, what do I need to think about for the next few weeks and few months? Um, and just put all your numbers in. And if they change, they change. Just change them as they change. And um, But what you'll find is that you're, you're cash flow, um, you, you'll get better at managing your cash flow, but you'll also 
I don't know why this works, but because you're paying so much attention to it, you'll end up having more cash in the bank. I, it's the goofiest thing. I don't know how that, <laughs> it's intention. It's intention, right? When we tell totally. ourselves that some, that managing our cash carefully is important, we'll do it. it. It's just like making up our mind not to eat sugar or any of the other things that we do with our, with lifestyle changes. Um, so you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a neat tool. Um, and I use it a lot, as I said, with clients and, um, that's how we literally have gotten some people on track. Yeah. And you're not, you're not just talking about clients who have a cash flow of, you know, $50,000. You're talking about six figure, seven figure cash flow projections that you've used this exact tool for, but that doesn't mean it's complicated, just that it's very powerful. Um, and what you were just saying, by the way, reminds me of something I saw on Instagram this morning that said, um, as soon as I started having to pay for my own food, I realized that mom was right. There is food at home. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. It's all about intention. It's all about (laughs) intention and focus, right? Um, and yes, and to your point, I have, I have used this cash model with, um, folks who have, you know, six figure payrolls every two weeks in order to make sure they're always making payroll. And what happens is after you use this for a while, you, you'll, you'll intuitively know, I always need to have X number of dollars in my bank account in order to get through my month and, you know, my week and my month and my year. And mm-hmm. you'll, it will become clear to you what your, what your balances need to be. It's just, it's, it's cool. Um, and again, you know, start off by just trying to use it every week. Um, and, you know, watch the little video that I made and, and, uh, and, and join us in our Slack. If you have any questions, we're happy to talk more. I could talk about it all day. And Tiffany's like, enough, enough. Let's not talk about this anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That is not true. I love this. And I love diving into this. Cause like I said, at the beginning, this deeper level of understanding my business finances, I've just sort of been like, yeah, I'll get to yeah. it. It's good. Yeah. I got everything yeah. working fine. I don't need to think about it. But this is next level, you know? This is it how is. we grow. This is how we learn. And this is how we prepare for growth, too. Um, oh, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. I, it's, 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 so, it's so very important. Um, you know, it's like I've worked with so many brilliant people and then like the one thing that they're getting tripped up on is finances. Don't be that person, you know, just, just, you know, let's get you up to speed so that you can master that. Cause once you master that, there's nothing scary after that. Yeah. I mean, that's about as scary as it gets, right? Totally. Item number four on how no, to be number your own. five. Five, sorry. The fifth one. This is the one I'm really excited about. This comes also with a really fun drawing. So if you're watching on YouTube, you can see that. And I'll I'll post these too. (laughs) Okay, accounting controls. Accounting controls. Now, when you are a professional accounting type working in accounting departments of many companies like I do, this is something we talk about all the time, policies and procedures, you know, how are we going to get this done? You know, the bookkeeper does this and the controller does that and the boss does this and somebody else does that. But if you are by yourself and you are setting up a company, you still want to have accounting controls for two reasons. One, you want to prepare for growth. And the other is that you want to, um, 
make sure you're handling all the things you need to handle. So we've got such favorites as, um, you know, there's whoever's putting in the data entry and, and the documentation. Remember, you want consistent documentation. Um, when you're, you know, let's say you're entering bills into your system or you have a bookkeeper doing that for you, you want to make sure it's being, it's being done consistently and that you're keeping documentation. You also want to make sure you have an approval process that works. So for example, the same person shouldn't be doing all of these things. However, at the beginning, it may just be you, but build this as if it's going to eventually be multiple people. And for, for now, if it's just you, it's multiple hats. So I know that sounds really stupid and hokey, but, but seriously, you're going to switch gear from being your own bookkeeper to being your own approval person and just make, you know, carve out space for all of those things. Imagining that someday this part will get handed off to somebody, this part will get handed off to somebody. And when you get to the size that you need to hand parts of this off to people, you're also at the size where if something goes wrong here, it could cost you a lot of money. So you separate your duties in accounting. The other thing is we have signing authority, right? So you don't give your bookkeeper signing authority. You know, you don't say, hey, hey, go enter all the details and then cut checks for me. No, don't do that. Mm -hmm. You be the signer, let your bookkeeper do the, enter, the data entering. And if you start to have employees that need to approve different things, because you've, you're now at a size where you've got an operations manager and you know, somebody doing this job and that job, make them sign off on, yes, I ordered those envelopes, um, you know, provide the right uh, details to your bookkeeper. And then you're the one that signs the checks after reviewing the documentation and seeing that your staff have signed off on um, the expenditure. And then finally, you want to have somebody reconciling the reports every month that isn't the same as this person or this person or this person. So ultimately, you want to get to a place where there's some compartmentalization between all of these tasks. Um, but initially, you know, again, you may be doing most of these yourself. And here's another area where if you'd like, we can we can talk about it on Slack, um, how you might start thinking about this, building up, you know, sort of your, your different areas of accounting process and then how you want to grow them from there longer term. So like if you're just starting your company now and you eventually want it to be a bigger company, but right now it's just you, um, or you plus a bookkeeper or you plus, you know, your partner helping you with some bits, you know, we can figure out how to help you put th the, the right things into place now so that later on, you know, two years from now, three years from now, you're going to do some important work that involves your financial reports or somebody needs to look at your process or you have an audit or something. If you've got this stuff set up, even in a, you know, even in a not very detailed way, but at least you're thinking about it, it's going to, that's going to really help you in the long term. As you, as you grow as an organization, you get more busy, you get more complicated. Um, so checks and balances is another uh, way of saying this. Just making sure that, you know, you're consistent, you're documented, um, you're making sure you're not, you know, 
letting it just anybody write checks, you know, it's all good. It's all good financial management. I like that. And, and for those of you who didn't, who aren't watching the video, what Beth was holding up was, um, it was a square drawing that had four puzzle pieces sort of all connecting. And so in the top left was, you know, kind of the journey of finances starts with the bookkeeper starts with, you know, just coding expenses and income and all that kind of stuff. Just doing the books essentially. Then it moves over to someone saying, yeah, okay. I did need to spend that money. Yeah, that is approved. That's a legitimate business expense or, oh no, that shouldn't have been in there. I used the wrong card on accident, whatever. Then it moves down to the next quadrant, which is the person actually paying the bills, signing the checks. And mm -hmm. also, but it sounds like, and I'm just regurgitating this. So please jump in if anything's not right. But it yeah. sounds like basically each person that gets handed the next piece of the puzzle is reviewing the previous pieces too, you know, she's like, exactly. oh, yeah, okay, okay, I see, I see, I see. And then, right. And then the final person is then maybe making decisions or changing things or drawing conclusions from all of that to say, whoa, on this one project, um, our expenses are starting to get really high, much higher than budgeted what's going on here. And they're kind of looking at it from that analytical point of view. You absolutely nailed it. Yeah, you absolutely nailed it. Um, that's right. And we'll, we'll make this, this little graphic available on, um, on the website. Oh yeah. We'll put it, we'll put it all the places. Sure. Um, so, and it's like a little drawing that a little sketch I did before we got on this call. So anyway, not professionally done, just sort of a doodle by me, but, um, anyway, yeah, <laughs> that, that's exactly it, Tiff. You know, you want to just think about each step in the financial management process as potentially at some point later belonging to a different person. So if you're always the check signer because you're the owner of the company, then that's your role. And you'll participate a little bit, of course, in looking at your, your P&L and your balance sheet and analyzing that and making sure, you know, saying, wow, you know, we really spent that much money on postage. What were we doing? And then, of course, your bookkeeper comes back with the backup and says to you, well, remember, you wanted to buy, you know, 15 books of stamps because you wanted to send out Christmas cards to all the customers. And then you say, oh, that hit this month. Okay, now I understand. And I asked you to do that. So yeah, that's, that's right. Now I remember. And so the financial reports become sort of a, um, uh, a historical record of the decisions that you made. And it's, it's, it's interesting to go back and look at them and say, oh, why did that happen again? Oh, yeah. And then as you start to have more history and you've got a couple of years of history, you can actually run your P&L statements uh, by year. And you can look and say, well, you know, I see that every spring we seem to spend a lot of money on such and such thing. This year, I'll budget for that because I know that, you know, there's a trade show that I always go to in May or whatever it is and, and start to get very adept at, at how you prepare for the upcoming year and what you've learned from the year that just ended. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a financial savviness that you'll develop as you go through time with your own company. 
So um, rather than be intimidated or scared by any of this, think of it as an opportunity to learn, but also to understand the financial narrative of your organization that you're building, um, which really is this, you know, in addition to what you're providing and all the things you know about your area of expertise, this financial narrative is really an interesting, an interesting story as it develops through the years. I know I've had my company for about 20 years and there's all kinds of, you know, I'll sometimes look back, you know, oh, remember this report from 2005 and I had this bunch of clients and, oh yeah, at that time I was offering this service or that service and boy, didn't I learn to do this other thing instead. It's, 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 it's really interesting as, as you, you go forward and you learn. That is, I, that last piece that you just said, Beth, was amazing about it becoming <laughs> a financial narrative. No, it really is because there's so many parallels between what we do, where I'm more mm -hmm. focused on project and client management and, and all that kind of stuff. And this is really fun to explore because, you know, sometimes we've talked about as a year starts to close or you get into early January taking, you know, you're, that's kind of the time where you're closing out everything. Maybe you're getting stuff ready for taxes. Um, you know, you're preparing any, uh, you know, forms you need to send out to your contractors, whatever you're doing. This is a good, I've always said it's a good opportunity to also look back at your clients and look back at the projects and reevaluate, is this what you want to still be doing? Do you enjoy the service you're offering? Um, do you want to try to pivot into something else? Have you learned some additional red flags that you need to look for when you're, you know, working with clients? Have you learned that you really were intrigued by this one project and let's try and do more of that, whatever you want to do. It's important to look back. But it's also important, it sounds like, to really be looking back at the financial narrative of your company and how things mm -hmm. went throughout the year and what you can learn going forward, tweaks you can make, new goals you can set, um, and just ways to do it better. And, mm -hmm. you know, maybe this is an opportunity um, for you to sit down with someone who, who knows more about this, who can look at your reporting from a more objective point of view and maybe call out some things that you hadn't noticed, you know, maybe someone saying, Hey, I'm noticing that you're spending 20% of the money you're making on, on online subscription services. That's a lot. Do you need to be, you know, do you need every single one of these or, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, mm -hmm. Beth could be that person or, you know, there might be someone in your life who, you know, has a financial background, a parent, an uncle, whatever, um, sit down with someone and have them go over it with you and see what information you can learn. Um, so that again, you can just be that really empowered, savvy business owner, because you're going to be a lot more powerful and a lot more successful if you are understanding the full picture of your business and um, not approaching it with fear, but with just curiosity, you know? Yeah. And, and, and interested in learning and, um, yeah. And, and as you're creating a set of financials, you're going to have, you're going to be telling a story and um, what's the story that you want to tell. And, um, and it's a story that should be obvious to you. Like whatever you're trying to do should be showing in the numbers. So um, that makes it kind of fun. I like it. All right. So those are the five things um, that you, the five skills, the five areas um, that you should be really spending the time i know that all of our time is limited and i know that starting and running a business especially with children and a family and a life and all the other things is challenging but you know 
this is something that's really important and we really encourage you to carve out some time to dig into these five areas. So understanding your P&L, looking at it regularly, um, understanding your balance sheet, um, understanding your cash flow, how to maybe make that better, um, setting up a budget and regularly checking in on that and then setting up these controls um, the way that Beth phrased it in our outline was setting up controls that work and that let you sleep at night. So um, I really liked that, that way you put that. So, um, you know, be sure to check out the show notes of this episode. We have a ton of financial related podcasts already in the bag that you could go check out um, and more to come, of course. Um, check out the cash flow projection tool. Again, it's free to you, it has a little mini course attached to it. If you want some more one on one mentoring, if you want to go deeper on any of this, um, there's a link to connect with Beth. We offer a free 30 minute phone call to see if it could be the right fit. And if it is, you guys can go from there. Sometimes it's just, uh, hey, for the next you know quarter, I want to work with you on understanding how to you know rearrange my cash flow because it's just not working and I keep stressing about it. And then that's it. You know, it can be very simple and and not too costly. Um, and of course, join our free Slack community. Um, there's a link to that in the in the um, show notes as well. So I think that is pretty much it. Wraps this up. Um, Beth, do you have any last words for anybody about becoming their own CFO? Uh, well, you can do it, and uh, you know we're we're here to help you if we can. So, good luck. That's right. Yeah, you got this. All right, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Kenza Collective, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Kenza Pod.